Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, everybody. I sure as heck hope that you feel better than I do, but you're going to... You need to know that the rumor that was started out in where the everybody eats is not true. Just because I have a horrible bad cold and da-da-da-da-da, you're not getting out early. It's not going to happen. Now, the other part, <clears throat> there's two or three things that uh, I need to say to you. Uh, the... Sunday night seminar I'm not going to do tonight. I'll try to start it again next week. I just, <clears throat> I'll probably have a hard time finishing this morning, to be honest with you. <coughs> I made it through last night, but not without some difficulty. The last 10 days or so, I've spent mostly laying on bed and feeling sorry for myself, other than when I was at the doctor's office. And... Uh, I was visited the doctor in Columbus, and he said that uh, that he didn't want to see me again until the last few days in in December, and they might have to do a little similar thing on this other side over here. But if they do, fine. But while he was punching around in there, they found out I had a, a sinus problem. They got to go in. It's not scheduled yet, and it's not life threatening. It's just irritating that they have to go in and fix. And then I'll probably be in better shape than I've been in for the last 50 years. But uh, anyway, watching television as much as I have in the last, and I watch all the channels because I want to see what the good guys and the bad guys are all saying. I concluded that our country is in a lot worse trouble than I thought. Now, I'm not trying to scare you, but I think you just need to be aware of the fact that there are people, I'm talking about powerful people, who really want to destroy the country that exists and rebuild according to their what they want. And you should know that what they want is heavily leaning toward Marxism. And uh, and they have anarchists who will do their dirty work, and it, it, it is not a pretty picture. I didn't realize, and I've called some people in Washington, good friends, and talked to them about it while I, when I was able to talk. And, and uh, they don't think that I'm far off base. What really bothered me was this. I grew up as a kid. Two of my uncles were in the Second World War. Uncle Carl in the Pacific, Uncle Walter in Europe. And then both of my brothers became professional soldiers. Both of them put in 30 years and retired. I grew up believing, and I still do, that patriotism is really a good thing. But what they've done 
is with clever words is they have associated those of us who are proud of being patriots with the term nationalism. Now that's clever because the Nazi party starts with that same terminology and it's all set up so that they can accuse us of being Nazis by enforcing what we believe on them. And there's some truth to the fact that, that whoever's in power will put into and enact what they believe, whether it's the left or right or whoever it is. That's, that does happen. But that's not all bad. But I, I came this morning, or last night really, with this conviction. If we as Christian people do not love our country and begin to stand up for it, I'm not talking about in a mean and vicious way, but I am saying that we need to take a stand and let people know where we stand and why we stand there. For instance, when's the last time that you all stood and looked at the flag and put your hand over your heart and pledged allegiance? Can you remember the last time you did that? Well, why don't we fix that? So that when you go home today, you can honestly say you did. Some of our schools do and some don't. But So why don't you just do an old man a favor and stand up and look at this flag over here and put your hand over your heart and pledge allegiance with me. Will you do that? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you all. I'll go home feeling better. <clears throat> Just recently, Cyrus Madbondo, a friend of ours who's been here several times, was visiting in Uganda and I asked him to go out on the property that we're, where we're building a church building there and to just bring us a little message about what he sees and what's going on. And, and if you'll see the brickwork where he's standing, that's to be the church building that, that they're for whatever, whatever reason, Patrick and Eddie want to call Christ Community Church Uganda. That's, that was their choice. I had nothing to do with that. But uh, if the guys upstairs are ready, let's go ahead and play that little clip so that you can see where your money is going and what's being accomplished. Hello, dear friends from Christ Community Church from Portsmouth, Ohio. I am Cyrus Madbondo. We have visited with you. We have partnered with you. God has used us to do many things for the kingdom, including visiting Uganda. I am standing on the site of this house of worship. All of you have contributed to send the Patricks and the Edwards, who are your own in here in this country. God is using you to give them the ability to continue the gospel preaching in Uganda. I am honored to stand here on site to see this vast opportunity. It is a beautiful facility. Continue to pray that God will give wisdom, provision that you've already made.
to see this work continue to bless lives here in Uganda. I wanted to send this greeting to you personally as a friend of the Ministry of Christ Community Church to say thank you for the legacy of Jesus Christ through your love for these young men and their young families. What a blessing. So I am honored to send you this greeting while I'm visiting Uganda on a mission trip. But I thought at least stop right here. Eddie, Patrick are doing well. Pray for them. Bless the work of their hands for the kingdom's sake. So to all of you who are watching this, God bless you. You have done something here that will continue to honor our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you again for your precious support. It is needed because we have a field in Uganda that is so ripe. In a godly way, I want to thank you for what you're doing. <coughs> So far, here's what's happened in the use of the money that you all have given. Because, see, when money is given and designated, we put that money in a special fund and see that it is used as requested. Designated giving. Actually, if you were to send us a check for, let's say, pick a number, $1,000, and say, I want it for this, this, and this, and you would mail that check. And if we didn't use the money as designated, it's actually a felony. It's mail fraud. And there are preachers in jail, I know at least one in, uh, in Colorado, for using funds without the permission of the, of the giver differently than was requested. So we're really pretty careful about that. During the COVID thing, when we started getting checks, many of us got checks we didn't need, we just signed them over to the church. The result of that is that we've sent about $150,000 for the church building <clears throat> in Uganda. Uh, they have those funds in hand. And every month, Patrick and Eddie each get $1,000 to live on. Eddie called me the other day and he said, we're, we're living just fine, but keeping gas for a vehicle is getting to be a problem. <clears throat> I said, really? He said, the, in addition to one liter of gas there is about the same as, a, as one gallon here is cost. So it's really ridiculous. And the other problem he said that they're having is just getting fuel in the, into the country. <clears throat> so you need to pray for them because they, they're to be on that site every day learning how the, that construction is to go because they hope that the day will come when this will not just be the first, but they can duplicate that in other areas. They're having real difficulty getting back into the U.S. I got an email from them saying that the first interview that they could get with the American Embassy to get a visa back into the U.S. would be for May of next year, and they're wanting to be here in November. <coughs> so they've asked us to call our political friends and see if they can do any good. I don't think it worked. I think they're stuck, but just to let you know. 
The text that's been assigned to me is from the 12th chapter of the book of Genesis. <clears throat> it's the call and of Abraham from God and the covenant that God made with him. Now, a covenant, we don't use that term much anymore, except on Sundays. The word covenant, the word testament, and the word will in the Greek is all the same. All, means all, and it's translated either one of those terms according to the context. We say when someone writes a will today, it's their last will and testament. So you can see that th those words are related. The Old Testament, New Testament, we deal with that when we're looking at biblical studies. <clears throat> And so it boils down to an agreement between two or more parties that all agree to. I'm sorry. Now, we'll be talking about this for the next few minutes, this covenant that God made with Abraham. There are those who say that that covenant is still valid. I don't believe that. And the reason it isn't valid is we'll talk about it in a minute because the Jews broke the covenant. A covenant is only binding as long as both parties live up to it. Now, in this current <clears throat> age in which we're living, in my lifetime, things have changed when it, a lot covenant is an agreement between people. It's just that simple. Or a deal. That's exactly what it means. When I was a kid, <clears throat> lawyers got involved very seldom in anything. My dad was a tenant farmer. And 127 acres became available near Germantown, Kentucky for $12,500. My dad had $500. He drove over to Germantown and met the fella that owned the property. He was also on the bank board, which probably helped some. And dad told him, I've got $500, but I'd like to have this piece of property. And I'll work on it and I'll pay for it as quickly as I can. The two men shook hands in front of that old house, and the deal was done. There was no more. And because we, I asked, no, and as Chuck asked Daddy one time, he said, how, how did he know that he would get his money? And Dad said, because I told him he would. And at that time, the concept was, a man is only as good as his word. And a handshake meant, I'm going to do just what I promised to do. And that was common among people. We seldom took animals to Maysville to the stockyards. There were guys who drove around who had a truck, 
They called them pin hookers. They would come around and, and they'd say, you, you, I understand you've got a uh, baby beef here for sale. Maybe it's probably 650 pound baby beef. You like to have them around that weight if you can. And dad would, they would talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, shake hands. The guy would load the baby beef up on the truck and go. He didn't give dad a penny. They had agreed that when he sold it at Maysville or to somebody else, he would come back the first thing and pay him. And he always did. Never lost a penny like that. Today, you can't buy a bicycle hardly without having a lawyer write you up a something or other. We've got too many lawyers and not enough engineers is really what's wrong with our, one of the things wrong with our country. <clears throat> God came to Abraham and he said, Abraham, because you believe me when I said, Abraham, and I don't know how this took place. I don't know whether it was all in a dream. I don't know. I have no idea. All I know is that God found a way to speak to Abraham. And by the way, his name wasn't Abraham then. It was Abram. The word Abram means father. And the Jews still refer to him as father Abraham. And so do the Muslims. Because his illegitimate son became the father of the Muslim nations. But God said, spoke to him some way. Now, I always have had trouble with figuring out if there wasn't any Bible, how did God speak to these people so they believed that it was him and, and took him at his word? How did that happen? I honestly don't know. I know sometimes it was in dreams. Sometimes there was some kind of a messenger that went to him. But I've kind of changed my tune on that a little bit because of, uh, of a circumstance that took place several years ago. I was visiting in Uganda, and I met this old guy. Well, he's not, so, he's not that old. He's 15 years younger than I am, but anyway. His name is Alex Metalla. Now, Brother Alex has been here to church, not in, during a service, and visited in our home several times. As a young man, he was wild enough to shoot at. He was a pot peddler and so on, and the government chased him into Kenya. Then he came back, and, and, and he said, Brother Scott, I was out in the bush hiding from the government. And he said, a voice spoke to me as clearly as you and I are talking. And God spoke to me and said, Alex Metalla, it's time you use all of your energies for me. Alex Metalla converted and 67, 68-year-old man now has an orphanage of 2,500 kids that he takes care of, has about three or 400 acres of corn that they raised to feed the children with, has a television program coming out of Kampala with about 7 million watchers. He is routinely called by the government officials asking for 
guidance on some of the things that they do. I cannot deny that what Brother Alex said was true based on what happened after that time when God, he says God spoke to him. I'm always, I'm still a little skeptical when people come to me and say, now God told me this. Uh-huh. I have a tendency to say, well, when he tells me the same thing, I'll go along with you. I've always been skeptical of, of things like that because there are too many frauds out here running around and, it, and so I become uncomfortable. But in Brother Alex's case, I, the evidence is that something dramatic happened. So something dramatic happened to a, a wealthy fella named Abram, and God spoke to him and said, I want you to do this. I want you to leave where you are and take your family with you. Even took his daddy, Tara, who died on the trip. And I'll show you where the land that I want you to have. And Abram packed up and left. Twelfth chapter says it this way. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. He didn't know where he was going. And he said, And here is what I'll promise you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. Now, what he was talking about here is God was going to create a people, and that last verse tells you, through whom the Messiah would ultimately come. That's what he was doing. He's developing the situation that would make it possible for him to send his son according to his plan that he already had in mind. Abram, of course, knew nothing about that. So he made this deal with him. It was a covenant deal, an arrangement between two people. And Abram obviously said, okay, and he obeyed him. Now, <clears throat> we'll talk about the difference in a minute between obedient faith and simple belief. We'll end up down, at, this is where we're going to end up in time. Because there's a significant difference. So keep this in mind before we get there. The the Greek word for belief and faith is all the same word. The verb form is pistuo, ends in an omega. Starts with a pi, the two that you are probably familiar with, because you run into that in algebra and other places. And it's, it is, according to the context, either translated belief or believe, or faith. 
And notice, notice that, it, that the word I gave you is in a verb form. That's a significant. Because a verb we learn in school connotes what? Action, being, or state of being. That's what a verb is linguistically. We learned that early on. Keep that in mind. Now then, let's look at Abraham and what took place here. First of all, you got two parties. You have a sinner named Abram, and you have a God. The Bible teaches with a great deal of clarity that the God that we worship is a God who always keeps his promises. When you look in the New Testament, so the issue here isn't who's going to, who can you rely on? The issue is you can always rely on God to do what he promises he'll do. The Hebrew writer in the New Testament wrote it this way. Verse 13 in chapter 6 of the book Hebrews. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. <laughs> Peter talks about the same thing in 2 Peter 3.9. talks about how God keeps his promises. Verse 9 of chapter 3 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some men understand slowness. He, in other words, God promises to do something. And if and when he says he will do it, he will do it. So the pro problem is here that we have with covenants is if somebody breaks it, the covenant's no longer valid. And God will never break it. So it means that any time that a covenant is broken, it's because of us, not him. Now, Abraham believed God's word and acted on it. <coughs> but he still had questions. The question was this. I'm not a kid anymore. I'm an old man. How are you going to figure it out, God, so that I can have descendants by the, numbered by the sand on the seashore? How are you going to do that? I think that's a pretty decent question. And it says, besides that, my wife Sarah is beyond childbearing age. How's that going to happen? I can only imagine that God smiled. I can only imagine. I think there was a grin on his face when that came. Abraham, you were willing to take up your whole household, and he was a wealthy, had a big household, and traveled 1,500 miles. Didn't know where you were going. And you did it at my word, and now you question what I promise you? But he did. And Abraham was tested too. 
You remember he took his uh, the 22nd chapter of, of Hebrews, and I'm not going to read all of these. I intended to, but I'm not going to. I had to speak slowly and da-da-da-da-da. He take, he's, God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your son once he had given, she had given birth and had this little boy, Isaac. I want you to take him up here on this hillside. And I want you to offer him as a human sacrifice. Now, that bothers you. But it didn't bother Abraham because among the pagan people at the time, that was a normal act. Offering your babies and your children to a pagan god was something they did all the time. And let's understand it. Abram at that time was more pagan than he was anything else. Most of us are too before we're converted and even after we're converted and unless we seek the Lord's face and study his word and da 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 and grow in our faith. So we we have the fact that uh, that even though he was he believed God he still faced test. Even though he obeyed God, he still was tested. Now this I learned on television. I actually didn't waste all my time watching it while I was sick. There was a Hollywood actor being interviewed. He's a Catholic man. Wild young man, going through a divorce, da-da-da-da-da. And he said, <laughs> he said, I was questioning God. Why am I going through all this difficulty? Why is it necessary to go through all of this difficulty? And he said, It came to me as a voice in the darkness of the night. It's supposed to be difficult. We live in a day and an age when, when testing time comes, we have a tendency to run from God instead of draw closer. The testing wasn't for God. The, God already knew what he was going to do. He knew that he was going to provide an alternate sacrifice. He knew all of this ahead of time. The test that was being faced was for Abraham's benefit, not God's. He was being taught by God that in the midst of a test, just remember this. God is always there, and he may be the only one. But he is always there. Our difficulty is that in, in the pain of testing, and I've had, some, I've had at least three in my life where you just, it, it runs through your mind, I'd rather be dead. And it takes something, maybe sometimes it's a friend. Sometimes it may be your spouse. Sometimes it may be some preacher on the radio or something who reminds you the promise that God made, the one who always keeps his promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, I told you early on that I didn't believe that Abraham's 
covenant with God or any of the other Old Testament covenants are still valid. I don't believe any of them are. So, and I think you'll see why I believe that in just a minute. Because God's covenants are always, without exception, are always conditional. That means that God, for his, and it's just because that he knows better, God has always put an if in the contract. And whenever there's an if in a contract, it becomes conditional. Here in the 17th chapter of the book of Genesis, God is getting ready to institute circumcision among the followers of Abraham. And here in verse 9, listen to what he says. This is a covenant that he's making with him. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. A covenant broken is of no value. God kept his, Abraham and his descendants didn't. The Jews were miserable failures. The only thing they succeeded in doing was the reason God brought them into existence to start with, and that's to create a people through whom he could bless the world through his only begotten son. That's true even though when Isaac was, was a man, God repeated the Abrahamic covenant to Isaac, his son. And let him know that, you know, here's the way it works. He said it this way. Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac, which means laughs. And I bet he wanted to change his name. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. So he's just, you know, repeating to his to Abraham's son what he had repeated to Abraham and said, "But you have to continue to, uh, to to abide it, abide by it." Because he said, "Any uns," and and he said, "Even in regard to circumcision, you have to keep it." Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people, for he has broken my covenant. So the keeping of the covenant is essential for it to be binding. God has always given visible reminders of his covenant. We talked a couple of weeks ago, what did we talk about? We said God had a covenant with Noah. And in that covenant he said this, Noah... I will never destroy the world again by water. And to to remind you of that promise, I will put in the sky a what? A rainbow. And they are kind of pretty. We've had several this spring that were really outstanding. I've always been interested in watching it from our apartment. The pot of gold has always been in Kentucky, when you see it going over the river. To Abraham, the sign of, and I don't know how visible this, how they worked this out, but because the, 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 the baby boys were to be circumcised after reaching eight days old. 
sign of their of God's promise was the was the circumcision. So you have the rainbow and the circumcision. Now we have a covenant. God has made a covenant with us today. His covenant was this. Anyone who accepts the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the promised Messiah, and believes that he is my son, and what he did on the cross is sufficient to, say, to pay for all of our sins, anyone who believes that, I will include in our covenant arrangement because I, and, my, and the arrangement is this. You do that, and I will give to you eternal life. Even though the flesh may die, you will continue to live without end. Everlasting life. Your sins, though they be of scarlet, will be white as snow. They will be obliterated from the memory of God. Now, some of my really good friends who are pretty good biblical scholars, students, believe that baptism is the symbol of that covenant. I do not. I don't think there's any legitimate biblical basis for it because they're saying, well, it, it replaced circumcision. No, that couldn't be either because circumcision was for males. Baptism is for everybody who repents of their sins and comes to Jesus. So that doesn't hold water for me. So then what, what, is, the, what is the covenant sign? Well, I think the New Testament is, is very clear, and I think you all are, if, you're, if you were here this morning, you ought to already know. Because here in the 26th chapter of the book of Matthew, here's what he says, starting at verse 27. Then Jesus took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I think the New Testament teaches clearly that the visible sign of the covenant that God has with his people, the covenant people, is communion. I have an ongoing argument with many of my good friends, especially traditional denominations. I had an interesting discussion with a, really one of the leaders of the Southern Baptist Church back some time ago, and he actually said, I think you're right. I said, well, won't you do something about it? Because during the Reformation, the tension between the Catholic Church and the protesters ultimately became Protestants. The protesters were so intense that sometimes the protesters did things in trying to, uh, how should I say, kind of get even or to be different from the Catholic Church. And since the Catholic Church, every meeting has communion. They call it the Mass. They said, in order for us to be different, let's just have it ever so often. I think that was a serious mistake. 
because they're saying that the covenant sign that we have with God doesn't need to be repeated very often. As for me in my house, I need a reminder on a pretty regular basis. Now, let's go back to where we were about Abraham's faith. Because this gets a little binding here for us. I told you that the word pistuo means is is a verb form. Pistis is the noun form of the word belief or faith. Same word. <coughs> what Abraham did, what Noah did, that was so impressive is they believed God and then did something about it. They believed and then did what? They obeyed. It said regarding Noah, you remember, that he did exactly as the Lord directed him. So what I'm telling you is this, and you need to think about it seriously, is faith is, is, is addressed in Scripture this way. There is simple belief of the facts that you do not necessarily influence your behavior. Then there is, I believe the facts, and because I believe them, I do something. Abraham believed God and did what? Took up his bed and walked. He was obedient. So what I'm telling you is in the New Testament in particular, there is, it addresses the difference between simple belief and obedient faith. The devil, the Bible says, believes God, but he's totally disobedient. So you can, you can believe and not be a follower. And the New Testament describes it. There's, there's an interesting fact. The book of Romans is considered by scholars to be the uh, theological book, the most theologically sound book in the New Testament. And you wouldn't know this ordinarily just by reading through it. In the first chapter of the book of Romans, verse 5, it talks about obedient faith. Here's the way it reads. Through him and for his name's sake we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. That same term is used in the 16th verse, at the, in the 16th chapter, at the end of the book. <coughs> Verse 26, obedience to the faith. James goes to an extreme. So obviously this was a problem in, at the outset of the beginning of the church. Oh, I believe. James says this. 
It's one thing to say, I believe. It's another to show people. And since you and I were saved, it wasn't just to get you to heaven. You and I were saved for the singular reason to use our lives as obedient followers of Jesus Christ to do what? To show the world who God is. Now that can only be done by obedience to the teachings of the New Testament. There isn't any other way. James says it this way in the second chapter, starting verse 16. <clears throat> well, start, let's go to verse... Uh, <coughs> verse. I'll read a little more than that. Go back to verse 14 so it makes it clear. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? The obvious answer is no. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it doesn't produce action, is dead. So he's making the difference here between simple belief and obedient faith. Obedience to the faith. Now, the church as a body can do things, but that shouldn't replace, that should not replace individuals who do, who, who they feel the Lord is laid, here's somebody has a need, the Lord laid on your heart, do something about it. Actually, the book of Ephesians in the second chapter does more to clarify this than any other passage in the Scripture, I think. In the eighth, starting at the eighth verse, it says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. <coughs> now, the works that I'm talking about has nothing to do with salvation. Zero. There's nothing we can do to earn forgiveness of sins. God took care of that in his covenant with us. He went to the cross, paid for our sins, and then said, I'll actually encourage faith within you. Here, listen to what he says. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not by yourselves. Actually, it's a gift of God. Not by works, so that no man can boast. Good works that Jesus referred to in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, what? Let your light so shine among men that others may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. They're essential to Christian witness. They have nothing to do with salvation. Salvation is doing just what Abraham did. Believing God and accepting as a gift eternal life. But that same covenant says, but here's the reason I saved you. Listen, for we, this is verse 9, 
Second chapter of Ephesians. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, what I'm telling you is this. And I was raised with some really good Christian, in a good church with really good leadership, good preachers, good Sunday school teachers. But I never had it emphasized. All that the emphasis we had was this, get saved and be faithful going to church. That's the way I was taught. And so it wasn't until later in life as I studied the scriptures independently on my own that I came to the conclusion, we've missed the boat. Honestly, we have. God didn't save us because he needed to fill some rooms in heaven. He saved us because there's a legitimate need in Sauda County in Portsmouth, Ohio, for people to live a godly, holy life that glorifies God and that even the greatest pagans can see there's something different about these people who love each other and even are kind to people they don't even like. Now you say, now where in the heck do you get this? Actually, it's kind of clear in Scripture. Peter, for whatever reason, seems the one to address it the most. In the second chapter of 1 Peter, starting at verse 12, he said, well, I start at verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world which war against your soul, live such good lives among the pagans that even though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good, do- good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. And then in Second Peter, he continues to address the problem in the third chapter, verse 11. So we do the verse 10 and 11. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements with the de- will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought we to be? He answers the question. It's a rhetoric question. You ought to, be whole, you ought to live holy and godly lives. Holy lives mean the word holiness doesn't have much to do with outward dress and the way women are required to do their hair and all that kind of stuff. So that's not it at all. It means that we're a different kind of people who are motivated by love of other folks and we want God to be have some good PR. The word holiness means... Hagiadzo means to be set apart. We're to be different. See, the natural person wants to be the same as everybody else. All of us has been, you know, the clothes we wear. I was getting, I was laughing at a couple talking in the donut room back there several weeks ago. They were talking about how lewd the bathing suits are for the girls and the boys anymore. And they are. And, 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 and in listening to the conversation, it was obvious that they thought they had never been influenced by fads. 
And I got to thinking, you know, when I was in high school, this is not an exaggeration, we had blue jeans that had a cuff on them about six inches. The cuff would come up. You hid your cigarettes in them. You hid your cheat notes for school. I mean, these, these were handy dudes. And I got to thinking, every one of us at one time or another have been affected by some kind of a silly fad that we participated in. We all have. Because there's a natural tendency to want to be like everybody else. The Bible says God wants his people to be different from everybody else. Noticeably different, not by just the clothes they wear, but by the kind of people they are. The, gener the, the generousness of their heart. The sensitivity to other people's needs. A kind heart. Soft words that turn away wrath. The kind of people that people look like and say, they got something. They've got something. Well, the covenant that God made with us is this. I will bless you. I'll give you the gift of eternal life. I'll give it. You can't haven't earned it. You haven't done anything to deserve it. Just because you have believed my word, I'll give it to you. Would you go out and let the world know who I am? That's a pretty good deal. Because one of these days, they're going to be laying in a casket down here, each one of us. And when you walk by that casket, wouldn't it be kind of neat to hear people say, if anybody ever got to heaven, he would or she would for sure. Why? Because we have lived a life not just to bless ourselves, but to bless other people as well. Okay, I'm done. And uh, I got you out three minutes early. So let's pray, and then you all have a really safe weekend. Take good care of yourselves. Don't get too close to me. I'm probably still catching. I will keep the mask on. Unless you got a big check, and I'll take it. It's okay. Father, thank you so much for sharing with us your love. And through the power of your presence in the Holy Spirit, equipping us to love each other, and to love other people the same way you love us. Help us, Father, to be known as different kinds of people whose goal isn't just to see how wealthy and easy we can make our life here on earth, but how much we can help other people and encourage other people and give other people a hand up, a word of encouragement, a prayer of support. Help us, God, to represent you really well is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're free to take up your bed and walk. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.